Hey guys, welcome to Murders and Mysteries. My name is McKay, and welcome back to the podcast, and thanks for joining me for episode number two. Before we dive into the case, I do want to give a trigger warning. Today's case does involve themes of sexual assault, and if that's not something that you can listen to right now, please take care of yourself and your mental health. I'm sure that I'll be able to tell a case in the future that is a bit easier for you to hear, but for now, please do what is best for you. Moving straight into the case, today we are going to be talking about the solved case of Sasha Samsudin. Sasha was born on the 4th of July in 1988 in New York, New York. She was born to Tara and Ken Ken Samsudin, and she also had a brother. Everyone that knew Sasha described her as a bubbly young woman who is just so happy and just so bubbly all of the time. And everyone said that she just really excelled in her career and was amazing at her job. Sasha was described as such a hard worker, but she did like to go out and have her fun too. Many of her friends said that she worked incredibly hard on the weekdays and partied equally as hard on the weekends. Sasha was a graduate from the University of Florida, and she went on to work as a social media manager for a real estate company, and like I said, she worked really hard doing what she did and was really known for her work ethic. But Sasha, like most girls her age, and she was 27 at the time of this case, um, she liked to go out and have a great time too, which was exactly what she did on this night that we're going to talk about. On Saturday, October 17th, 2015, Sasha was watching a soccer game with her friends and her favorite team ended up winning, so they all decided to go out and celebrate at the Attic Nightclub in Orlando, Florida. They were all out having a great time and dancing, but according to her friend Anthony, Sasha was, you know, ready to go and decided to leave around 12:30 a.m. by herself. Now, Anthony said that this was pretty common, that this was something that they did. They would leave the clubs, kind of go their separate ways, and then meet back up later. He mentioned that he actually wasn't sure what her plans were that night when she was leaving. Like, he didn't know whether she was going to go to another club or head home, because, like I mentioned, this was something that they would often do when they were all out together. Although, this night, Sasha was ready to call it a night, so Anthony didn't see her again, but they did have plans to go meet up for breakfast the next morning. But Sasha never ended up showing up to breakfast. At first, Anthony assumed that she was just hungover or overslept or something, but several hours had passed and she still wasn't answering any texts or phone calls or messages via social media. Anthony called her two other close friends because, you know, he's starting to get worried and they all decided that they should just go check on her. Also, like I mentioned previously, Sasha was a social media manager, so she was very into social media, especially her own, and she was always known to text friends back, so they thought it was really strange that she wasn't answering any form of communication. Anthony and her two other friends went to the Uptown Apartments where Sasha lived to check on her, and when they got there, they noticed that her car was there, but... Sasha had plans that day to be at a baby shower, and they noticed that the present was still in her car and hadn't been touched, so their worry about her well-being just began to skyrocket at this point. At this time, they went to go check on her. Sasha should have, 
either already been at the baby shower or back from there, so this really caused them to think that something was not quite right. So they went up to her apartment and knocked on her door and started calling her name, but there was no answer, which made them grow even more concerned. So Anthony and her two other friends, and I'm sorry that I keep referring them referring to them as her two other friends, but none of the sources or articles that I read seem to have the name of the two friends um, that were helping Anthony, so I don't really know what else to call them without calling them false names, and I feel like that would just be confusing and potentially hurt the integrity of my storytelling if someone does, or someone does know who they are and I'm calling them by a different name, so please bear with me on that. But anyway, Anthony and her two other friends started calling hospitals and jails and any other place that she could possibly be, but um, to no avail. Like, no one had seen her since the night before. Obviously, this just made Anthony and her other friends' concern grow more and more, so Anthony decided to call 911 and report Sasha as a missing person. Luckily, the police took this seriously, which we know they don't do in all cases, but Luckily, they did, and police were dispatched shortly after this 911 call at around 8 p.m. on Sunday, October 18th, 2015, to conduct a welfare check. When they arrived, they were accompanied by the apartment's main security guard, who went by the name Stephen, as they entered her apartment, and at first it seemed like she was nowhere to be found in her apartment, which was weird because her car was outside. But as they continued to search the apartment, a police officer entered her bedroom and saw hair and an arm sticking out of the comforter. And although they found her, Sasha was unfortunately no longer alive. It was apparent by the exposed marks on her neck that she had been strangled to death. Uh, Sasha was found wrapped in a comforter and her shirt and bra were visibly ripped open. Her underwear were hanging from her body, her necklace was ripped off of her and tangled in her hair, and her throat was crushed. It was unfortunately evident that she had been sexually assaulted before she was killed. However, there was no sign of forced entry, and besides the way her body was found, there wasn't any evidence uh, to support that there was a struggle. They also noted that there was a strange smell of, like, cleaning supplies, and they also noted that the toilet seat was up. Since Sasha was a female and lived alone, and no males lived in the apartment, when CSI and detectives arrived on the scene, they decided to swab the toilet for fingerprints under the toilet, and they actually ended up lifting a fingerprint from this. And I'm actually really glad that they noted that Sasha wouldn't normally lift up the toilet seat, because, well, she's a woman and we tend to sit on the toilet seat when we go to the bathroom but immediately when I was researching this knowing that she was super intoxicated the night before I just assumed that she got too drunk and got sick so this was actually a really really good catch by the detectives on the scene and it actually really ended up helping this case as you will see later in the episode but after doing a more thorough look around the crime scene they also found that her cell phone purse and key fob were also missing. They were nowhere to be found in the apartment. The police also came across a condom wrapper and a shoe print next to her bed. So to begin the investigation, the police took footage from the security cameras that they noticed that were placed all around the apartment. They were on all floors, uh, facing the exits, etc. So they 
you know, took this and decided to use this to collect evidence to kind of piece together what she was doing the night that this happened. They also ended up interviewing the security guard, Stephen Duxbury, from the complex that was on duty that night that Sasha was presumed to be murdered. He admitted that he did see Sasha that night when she was trying to get into the building, but he said that she couldn't remember the code that he that's like administered to her to get into the apartment and he refused to let her in which I'm gonna get into this more later but it's so infuriating to me that he didn't just let her in the building he's been working there at this point for like five months and he's definitely seen her before so the fact that he didn't just help her out and let her into the building is so beyond frustrating and I know that at the end of the day, that probably wouldn't change the outcome of this case, but honestly, like, what a dick for making her struggle to get into the building and making her have to sneak in behind other tenants just to get into the apartment. It's just so, so annoying. Like, just be a good security guard and let her in. Like, seen her before, just let her into her apartment. But anyway, he claimed that at this time she was very intoxicated and didn't have her cell phone or key fob on her. And like I mentioned, she couldn't remember her access code. He also claims that she asked him to walk her to her car to check if the fob and phone were in there. But as they were walking to the car, she said that she had actually remembered her code to get in. And there's actually camera footage from the security cameras that corroborate this. You see him walking her back in the direction of the apartments he said that she tried the code that she said that she remembered but it still didn't work and he also said that he told her that he had to get back to work and assume that another resident would let her in and claim that he didn't see her after this incident since the security guard seemingly assumed that she got into the building safely and claimed that he hadn't seen her since, the police didn't really have much else to go off of, so again, they turned to the security camera footage. They actually started with footage from the attic nightclub that Sasha was at that night and found Sasha on cameras walking in the direction of her apartment. So they kind of like followed her through CCTV. Uh, the police said that she was easy to spot on cameras because she was wearing a purple shirt and white pants, which does stand out, so it's kind of a good thing that she was wearing that that night, but it was the same purple shirt that she was found in the next day. But the police stated that Sasha was visibly intoxicated on these tapes. She was stumbling around, but it was confirmed that she was walking home alone. There were no friends or strangers or anything with her at the time that she left the nightclub and when she started walking toward her apartment. At one point during her walk home, she is caught running on camera, but disappears from the cameras because, of course, there was a glitch in the tape. And I feel like stuff like this always happens in these cases. They see her just fine on tape, and she's seemingly alone and doesn't show any signs that she's in danger. But, of course, the second she starts running, which is a huge red flag, because, like, what is she running from? The tape glitches and she just disappears. So there's now a gap, although a fairly, fairly minute gap in the timeline of what happened to Sasha. Like I said, it was a really tiny glitch and she does reappear on tape only six seconds later, but is now seen with two women. So the police broadcasted the picture of Sasha and the two women everywhere to see if they could get any leads on who these two women were and to see if they had any more information on 
what was happening with Sasha during that time that night. And this was actually successful. The two women ended up coming forward, and they claimed that they helped Sasha because they heard some men trying to strike up a conversation with her. And because she was so visibly intoxicated, they were scared for her. She was drunk, alone, and these women were really just looking out for her, which is so freaking great. I wish more women would do this for other women. If you see a girl walking alone, drunk, late at night, and you notice that men are trying to take advantage of her, the best thing that you can do, especially if you have someone else with you, like these two women were together, is step in and try to get that girl home safely. It's a freaking scary world out there, and all of us, men and women with pure intentions, really do need to stick together like this. But Anyway, that's exactly what these women did. They stepped in and helped her get away from these men that were trying to talk to her. And these two women that came forward also stated that Sasha didn't have her ID or cell phone on her at this time. So they offered to share their Uber and got her to her apartment complex safely. And really, bless these two women for doing that. Like I said, I love seeing women stick together like this and make sure that other women are getting home safely. They did not have to offer her an Uber ride, especially because it seems like she didn't have her wallet. She didn't have a cell phone to take down their information to pay them back. They really just did this out of like pure concern for this woman and her well-being. And I just think that's so fucking cool of them. I wish I knew their name so I can give them even more praise. But really, just a really incredible thing for them to do. So, like I said, they got Sasha home and she is seen on camera going into her apartment at 1.46 a.m., she was trying to get into her apartment and another resident asked if she was okay and she told him that she was fine but he wasn't seen again on tape so he wasn't, you know, ruled as a suspect or anything. But I just wanted to mention that because I do want to point out that after hearing that these women stepped in and that this concerned neighbor also stepped in, it just goes to show just how intoxicated Sasha must have been and knowing this and knowing that the security guard didn't help her get into the building is just... Well, we'll talk about that later, but that's just a huge red flag right off the bat for me. So she's seen again on security cameras from the apartment complex, presumably coming from her apartment, but in my research, none of the sources really specified, but she was caught on camera running again at 2.06 a.m. And I do want to note that the footage from the apartment complex does capture audio, and it was noted that Sasha was making a lot of noise with her shoes when she was running. So she was making a lot of noise. Her flip-flops were like, click, clack, click, clack, and um, it was very apparent that she was running. Uh, now she was caught on camera again shortly after 2.25 a.m., but this time she is not running and she is not alone. She is walking with the security guard, Steven, right behind her. They are seen walking to and from the garage, just like he had told the police that he was doing when she wanted him to walk her to her car. So as of right now in the case, it seems like his story is matching up pretty well. So at the time, the police didn't consider him a suspect. So we're going to get into the autopsy a little bit, and the autopsy did come back and confirm, you know, what the police had speculated and confirm the police's analysis that she was strangled to death. But it also revealed that she was in fact beaten and raped during this horrific act of violence as well. 
It also confirmed that there was foreign male DNA on Sasha's chest, and the medical examiner said that he had never seen an internal neck fracture as severe as what Sasha had suffered from that night. And going back to the DNA on the chest, too, he said that there was apparent bruising and that the bruising indicated that she'd suffered several blows to her chest as well. And he also noted that there was a strong smell of cleaning solution coming from Sasha's body. And remember, there was also a really strong scent of cleaning supplies noted by the police when they first entered Sasha's apartment. Okay, so let's get into the suspects of this case. Since Sasha was strangled, which is normally a crime of passion, investigators decided to start with Sasha's ex-boyfriends. The first ex-boyfriend that the police interviewed was a young man by the name of Taylor. He claimed that him and Sasha were never exclusively dating, but confirmed that they did still keep in touch. Taylor was a bartender and said that he worked until 9.30pm that night, which, I mean, it still allows him to have time to get to Sasha's apartment and commit this crime, but Taylor did voluntarily let them take a sample of his DNA, which quickly ruled him out because it was not a match to the DNA found at the crime scene. So the police moved on to the next, and the next man that they invest that the investigators talked to was a na- a man named Ben. Well, I can't talk. A man named Ben. <laughs> he was considered a suspect because Sasha's last text that she sent was to Ben. It was at five twelve a.m. and all it said was Ben. Period. When being interviewed about Sasha, he said that him and Sasha only briefly dated. He also claimed that he was actually supposed to hang out with her that weekend, but they never got the chance to. And he also had an alibi. He said that he was at a friend's house all night, and he never left that Friday. He was there all night on Friday. The story was corroborated, and he also voluntarily provided a sample of his DNA, and it was also not a match. So again, they ruled him out and moved on. So the final suspect that we're going to talk about in this case was none other than Stephen, the security guard that was last seen with Sasha the night before she had died. Stephen was employed by Vital Security and Investigations and was contracted to work at Uptown Place Apartments as their main security guard. And at the time of Sasha's murder, Stephen had been working there for only five months. He was a married United States Air Force vet and a graduate of Strayer University. And it seemed like he was just a normal married dude trying to earn a living by being a security guard, but police quickly grew suspicious of Stephen in the coming weeks of their investigation. And let me tell you why. When investigators interviewed him, he claimed that he left work at 6 a.m., but those security cameras, man, they will catch you in a lie. And that's exactly what they did. Steven was seen, seen on camera at the apartments at 6.30 a.m. carrying two garbage bags. And these were not just any garbage bags, but they were white with red handles, which were the exact same garbage bags as they found in Sasha's apartment. So obviously they thought that was a bit weird, but also they didn't know if that was like part of his job to take out the trash. So they contacted the apartment complex and confirmed that it was in fact not a job duty of Stevens to be taking out people's trash. But he was supposed to report if residents didn't take their trash back inside. 
So it's thought that maybe he was taking out all of the material that he used to clean up the crime scene since the apartment reeked of cleaning solution, but there was no evidence of a cleanup, like paper towels or rags or anything like that. It's thought that this could be what he was throwing away. So the police grew suspicious of him and decided to bring him in for questioning. And during this interview, they noticed that he had scratches and bite marks on his body and that when they began to grow, I mean, that's when they began to grow even more suspicious of Stephen and asked to see the shoes that he wore the night that Sasha was murdered because they wanted to compare them to the shoe prints that they found next to Sasha's bed. But when he showed the investigators a pair of sneakers that he claimed he was wearing that night, they were not a match. However, with him being seen with her on security footage and the weird garbage bag situation, the investigators decided to ask Stephen if he would be willing to take a polygraph. And he agreed, which after I shared the details of the polygraph, I'm not sure why he even agreed to it, but he did nonetheless. Interestingly enough, when Stephen was asked if he was in Sasha's apartment, the polygraph administrator noticed that the needle jumped. So if so they asked him if Sasha was stabbed and he said no and he ended up passing that question. Then he was asked if she was choked and again the needle jumped. The police found this particularly odd because the public, including Stephen, still didn't know what the cause of death was. Another weird thing to note about the polygraph is that a little after those questions, Stephen turned to the polygraph administrator and asked, is my heart rate still high? Like, what? That's such a weird thing to ask if you're innocent, don't you think? So, we all know that polygraphs are not admissible in court, but this, along with the other circumstantial evidence at this point, was enough for them to get a DNA sample from Stephen. And guess who was a match to the DNA found on Sasha and the toilet seat in her apartment? If you said Stephen, you're right. After further investigation, they also found some weird search history on his phone. Remember how you have to have a code to get in if you don't have a key fob to your apartment? Well, Stephen had made a search on his cell phone that night morning at 5 a.m. that said, how to defeat a digital lock. Coincidence? I think not. So why you got, so why you wanna know that, Stephen, huh? Why you wanna know how to get into a digital lock? Weird. So all of this was enough for police to get a search warrant for Stephen's house in Port Orange, Florida. And after rummaging through his house, what do they find? A pair of shoes that were a match to the shoe print right next to Sasha's bed. So with all this evidence against him, Stephen was arrested two weeks later for murder in the first degree. He was also charged with attempted sexual battery with physical force and burglary of a dwelling with assault and battery. That was a mouthful. He was booked into the Volusia. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I think it's Volusia County Branch Jail in Daytona Beach. And he was held there without bond. The trial lasted for seven days, and jurors heard testimony and arguments and took in 101 items of evidence, which included the security footage, recorded police interviews with Stephen, Sasha's bed sheets, comforter, cleaning products, and clothing. 
and after the seven days of trial, the jury deliberated for only four short hours, which if you're familiar with true crime, you know that's a actually a fairly short amount of time to deliberate. Some cases take days, sometimes even weeks for the jurors to come up with a verdict. So four hours is like really not a long time for them to be like, yep, he's guilty. And there's more than one charge to deliberate too. So I just thought it was interesting that they didn't take that long to deliberate. But I mean, there was a lot of evidence that pointed to him being guilty. And I think that his DNA being on Sasha really is what put the nail in the coffin for him. I think without that bit of evidence, it would have been harder to convict him and maybe would have taken a little bit longer for jurors to come to a verdict. So I'm really, really glad that they had enough to get a warrant for his DNA. But anyway, Stephen, who was 35 at the time of sentencing, was charged with first-degree murder and rape and burglary, which gave him two life sentences with an additional 15 years for the burglary. So this man is literally never getting out of prison, and we love to see it. I think what gets me most about this case, though, is that Sasha was protected by these two women she didn't know when she was being harassed by men on the street. She got home safely, she made it safely inside of her apartment just to be attacked, assaulted, and murdered in her own bed. And if that's not injustice, I just don't know what is. And I feel so bad for all the other residents that live there. Like, I don't know, it's just, it's such a horrible situation to see her, you know, make it home safely after such an intoxicated walk home and see this happen. It's just, it's horrible. So after this horrible tragedy, her parents and her brother were suffering from their loss of their loved one, and it was said that her mom even had to quit her job as a hospital nurse because she just couldn't treat rape victims anymore. She said, well, she said herself that after treating a rape victim, she told them that they were lucky to be alive and that her daughter wasn't so lucky, and she immediately knew this was wrong, but when you're a grieving mother, I mean, I can only imagine what she was going through. And having to do a job like that, I just, I don't think that's something that I would be able to do after the circumstances of her daughter's death. It's just so tragic. And this man not only took Sasha's life, but like completely changed her entire family's life too. It's just so, so sad. And her brother went on a hiking trip in her honor and is doing everything that he can to try to heal from this. It's such a horrible, horrible tragedy, and this kind of thing can and does affect the loved ones for the rest of their lives. You know, there's no right amount of time to heal from something like this, but, you know, they're doing everything that they can, and my heart goes out to them, and I wish them the most peace and healing. I'm happy that the monster behind this horrific act was caught, but... It unfortunately doesn't bring Sasha back, but we can find a little solitude in the fact that the person responsible for her death is behind bars and, and will never get out. Um, I do want to interject really quick and clear up the dates that I mentioned earlier. I did, um, you know, say them a little bit incorrectly. October 15th, October, hold on, let me go back really quick. So October 17th, the day that um, Sasha went to the nightclub was actually Friday, October 17th, not Saturday like I stated previously, and she was found on Saturday, October 
18th, not Sunday, October 18th, like I had mentioned previously. So I did want to clear that up so that there was no confusion. But that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. I truly appreciate the support. Please don't forget to add this podcast to your list and review me anywhere that you stream your podcasts. It really does help support the podcast and raise awareness to cases that need more eyes and ears on them. If you aren't already, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Murders Mysteries. It will be linked in the description along with all the sources that helped me create today's episode. You're very appreciated, and I can't wait to have you tune in to the next episode of Murders and Mysteries. My name is McKay, and it was so great having you listen today. Bye!